We live in a world where novels and Hollywood movies worship vengeance. Those who attain revenge are hailed as heroes, returning for sequel after sequel to once more avenge a wrong. But is that the way life has to be? Is that how we want to spend our energies? What role does forgiveness and forbearance play in real life? Hi, my name is Dan Dick and welcome to Church Matters. Joining me in the studio today is John H. Newfield. John is a retired pastor from First Mennonite Church in Winnipeg, Professor Emeritus and former president of Canadian Mennonite Bible College, now Canadian Mennonite University. John's done a lot of thinking about forgiveness and forbearance, and he's going to share some of his insights and wisdom with us. Today, in part one of this two-part series on the overlapping topics of forgiveness and forbearance, we will focus on forgiveness. In part two, we'll focus on forbearance. Welcome to Church Matters, John. Thank you. It's good to be here. All around us, the popular culture message in the news, in the movies we see, in the fiction we read, is based on the superhero avenging a wrong by some act of violence. Seldom do we see forgiveness portrayed as a viable option in the mainstream media. John, why do you think that is? Well, to begin with, Dan, your opening comments give me the impression that you have dived into the deep end of the pool. You have identified what's trending in our culture, and you have raised some of the key issues that forgiveness is actually all about. In fact, one researcher uh, has said that forgiveness is actually the antidote to vengeance. And so if vengeance is the default position in our society generally and in the media, and also between individuals and families and, and groups, then I think uh, that is the main task that the emphasis on forgiveness has, but it is an uphill battle hmm. because it isn't popular. It doesn't seem popular that that is the best way to go, to forgive. But then you remember the story of the Amish uh, murders in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Yes. Now, on that occasion, the media streamed to that little village. And they were amazed that the Amish folk did something quite different than what they usually portray. In fact, a local dentist is supported, reported to have said that these Amish scare the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> and so they were intrigued and they were puzzled that a community could respond to a horrific tragedy with five children killed by saying the same day that it happened, we forgive the man who did this. And that is a countercultural approach to an act of violence. Do all types of offenses require forgiveness, or is forgiveness reserved for certain kinds of offenses? Well, there are uh, serious offenses, and I, I really want to elaborate on these three kinds a little later, but the, the serious offenses are betrayal, disloyalty, and abuse. Those 
demand forgiveness if there's going to be some sort of resolution. But then there are a lot of lesser things that we have to put up with in daily life, whether it's in our families or in church or with neighbors or colleagues, that we simply have to chalk up to living in a crowded world. We're rubbing shoulders with others, and so very often the others are quite different than we. And it's the differences that irritate us. So not all offenses are in the same category, and not all have to be responded to in the same way with an apology. Some things we have to suck up and endure and cut people some slack. Mm -hmm. But the, the emphasis in society generally is that if someone does me wrong, my natural impulse and inclination is to strike back in order to get even. And that we call retributive justice. If someone does a wrong, the law and the courts say you must pay an appropriate penalty. But what the Amish illustrated was what is called restorative justice, which means they take a different approach to the wrongdoer than retributive justice does, where they simply say someone has got to pay. The Amish said someone needs to be forgiven, which is a quite different thing. And so the media in Nickel Mines were confronted with an alternative solution to a horrific crime. And the interesting thing was that the whole world via the media was caught up in the strange reaction of these people to uh, a horrific event in their midst. Does forgiveness require more energy than avoiding, resisting, and denying? It's hard to say whether it requires more than uh, resisting and planning to do vengeance, but it does take a very focused commitment, uh, sort of a, a two-stage commitment. One is that I, as a person, have decided that I want to be a forgiving person. That's the category that I want to be in. But then when a specific instance where forgiveness is called for arises, then I have to implement that decision to be a certain kind of person. And the implementation is hard because it goes against our grain, and it is long. For example, when Joseph in the Old Testament was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he endured uh, some time in Pharaoh's house and some time in prison, and then he got a high position. But we don't know how long he had to struggle with getting over the idea of wanting revenge. The Bible doesn't go into that. But somehow, after 20 years, when his brothers showed up, Joseph broke down and symbolized forgiveness. Now that took an awful lot because here he had the power and the opportunity 
to get even, and he chose not to. 20 years worth of thinking on that one. Yes. It seems to me that forgiving and being forgiven requires us to become incredibly vulnerable, and maybe that's step one. What do you see as the steps on the journey toward forgiveness? It's not the same for everyone, but uh, one person has called these steps to forgiveness as the scandal of forgiveness. And Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, once said, a person should only be forgiven if he deserves it. But forgiveness has this maddening quality about it of being undeserved, unmerited, and unfair. And so someone is disloyal, and he betrays, and all we ask from him is, Do you, are you sorry? And if the person says, I'm sorry, then we forgive. But that seems to be too easy on the guilty party, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like allowing someone to walk all over me. Has the other person, the offender, actually learned something through this thing that he did? Like the elder brother in Luke 15, he would say, well, it isn't fair to join the celebration with my kid brother who came home. Why? Well, there's been no time for probation. I'd like to watch him carefully for three months or so to see if he really means it. Or did he just come home because he was at the end of his rope? And what about justice? The older brother had learned in the synagogue that an eye for an eye was the rule of the game. And if you mess up, you pay. And if the father simply forgives this younger brother, uh, has he paid anything? Probably not. And what if the person does it again? Do we just forgive again? That was Peter's question, and he asked Jesus, so how many times should I give? Is seven enough? And Jesus said, no, don't bother counting, Peter. Try 70 times seven. So it's, it's a vulnerable thing to be a forgiver because it appears to be acting from a position of weakness and too great a humility. Mercy is not something that comes natural to the human soul. No, no. We like to even things out, and, but it's a struggle. Even the Amish, who said that they forgave the day of the murder, months later they said, we find it difficult to forgive. We still have anger because of what we lost. We have struggles. But in in reality, forgiving is strength, incredible strength. Our pasts often haunt us, John. Wrongs that have been done to us or that we have done to others are not very easily put out of our minds. How can we better learn to live with our past instead of in our past? Well, you're touching on something here which affects a lot of people over 60. Many of us who are in the retirement years have time to reflect, and we go through old albums and review old situations. And in the midst of all of this remembering, we also stir up old memories, some of them very, very painful. And that is a 
tremendous burden. And I think the way one has to do this is what one writer has said, we need to intentionally go into a room called remember. <laughs> and that means that we overcome our urge to deny the bad stuff that happened earlier, but that we name it, maybe jot it down, and then we reflect on it and come to grips with it. Because our past, if it isn't dealt with, is not yet done with us. It will come back re repeatedly. And we will have memories coming back which are unresolved, which are really bothersome to us. And we wish they would simply leave us in peace, but they don't. So I think journaling about our past experiences just for ourselves or listing all the good things we can recall, but also the things we wished we hadn't experienced. And then if we have the courage to share with another person orally what we have discovered about ourselves and hopefully that the other person will also share what he or she has discovered uh, about their earlier life in order to deal with it and process the difficult memories. I want to jump back just a moment to the previous comment you made that in the nickel mines disaster, tragedy, uh, the Amish came back several months later and said, you know, it's not so easy to forgive. We're still angry. And to me, that, that begs the question, are our expectations of forgiveness too high or even too low? Well, if, if we assume that when we, when we say we forgive, that our emotions have already caught up with that act of forgiveness, we're probably having too high expectations because our intention is to be forgiving. But saying that does not yet deal with the hurt. And we have to accept the hurt, absorb the hurt, and accept it just the way God accepts us. And that will take time and will take a struggle. So I think the one thing that can be said about all forgiving is it's not quick. It's spoken in a moment, but to really process it in our gut takes a lot of time. Is there then something that can be gained from the act of forgiveness? Actually, quite a bit. Researchers in the last uh, 30 years or so have found out that people who have the capacity to forgive another reduce anxiety, reduce anger, reduce the danger of depression, and they have an increase in self-esteem, and they have an increase in hope. Mm. And so uh, we, we are actually, by forgiving, we are liberated from having the offender control us. And, that, and so someone has said that when we forgive, we let the prisoner out of the cage, and the prisoner is us. And that's an amazing benefit. When we make ourselves open to being forgiven or forgiving someone else, 
that vulnerability is really hard. What suggestions might you have that can help us become vulnerable even when the outcome is uncertain? Well, I think uh, the biblical urge and Jesus' teaching that we are to be forgiving persons is a very important thing and that we learn from Jesus and from Paul that we are to forgive the way God has forgiven us. And when God forgives us, God is taking a risk because we may goof again. <laughs> and when we forgive someone else, we are taking an incredible risk because we can get stung by the same person or the same offense again. But that is a risk that is actually worth treating. And I think we, we create this alternative image of who we want to be by uh, cultivating an alternative imagination. And that happens through worship services, through our hymns, through our praying, and we realize that forgiveness heals wounds much better than any medication. And it opens doors to the future like nothing else can. In fact, Desmond Tutu said, without forgiveness, there is no future. And I think that's a, a wonderful insight mm -hmm. that he has left us. Mm -hmm. I want to share a, a little story I read about Reverend Lee, who was a Korean Christian and the former moderator of the United Church. Long ago when Japan occupied Manchuria, he was in prison and he was daily beaten, kicked, and spit at by his guards. And at the end of the experience then he was released and in the field down the road he saw a lonely form sitting out in the field by himself facing another part of the sky. And he says, I quickly recognized him as the guy who used to beat me every day. And filled with rage, he picked up a stone and approached him. And the man, trembling, leaped to his feet, and Lee knew that if he threw one stone, others would follow, and the crowd would kill him. And Lee couldn't do it. He said, I was thinking to kill you today, but I can't. I'm a Christian. And this is the time our people are celebrating liberation. Killing is not a fitting thing to do. And the man fell to his knees, thanked Lee for saving his life, got up and fled. And later on, Reverend Lee said this, Yes, I forgave him. Someone has to stop this continuous revenge. Someone has to start something different. And that is via forgiveness. That's powerful insight for leaders in many parts of society. You have said, John, that biblical truth is not static, that truths can change. What do you mean by that statement? Are you opening a can of worms? I might be. 
For some people, this may be a can of worms and make them uncomfortable. But I have become comfortable with the fact by biblical verses which show change from one time to another and by examples of people. So our understanding is to be a, a matter of lifelong growth and maturity and hopefully more insight. And when I think of Peter the Apostle, he grew up as a strict Jew. He knew the Torah, he knew the tradition, he knew what was allowable, what was not. And then one day in Joppa, he had this vision, a Buddha sheet, and the all kinds of animals, and the command was, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And his immediate response was, no, Lord, I have never. And the thing repeated, and then Peter left with some uh, agents from Cornelius, and he went to Cornelius's household, which was totally forbidden. And while there, Peter made a statement which shows that his truth was no longer static. He said, now I understand that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, anyone who does what is right is acceptable to God. Now this was a Jew, a strictly brought up Jew speaking, and his understanding of what God expected and what God demanded of them had suddenly changed. And he was able, to, he was willing to stick his neck out on that one and say, my experience has taught me that my previous convictions were an error and that my previous understandings about who is in and who is out, with whom may I eat and with whom may I sit, was actually wrong. And he, he got the first notions of that from his experience with Jesus. And then after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit continued to work in him and the firm certainties of his upbringing were put into question and he embarked in a new direction. So we see this in a number of things in scripture if we're open to see the fact that truth grows and truth is like a seed which will push its way to the surface and do great things. That's a powerful and eye-opening revelation when we look back at Scripture and see where ideas and minds and thoughts and truths have evolved over time. You alluded to this passage earlier in Matthew 18, we're asked to forgive seven times 70. In other words, we must never stop forgiving. Are we perpetually to forgive the same person who offends time and time again? Is there a point at which repeated forgiveness becomes unhelpful for both parties in a conflict? Yes. Uh, Jesus says, or the New Testament says, three things about forgiveness. Forgive one another, forgive one another repeatedly, and forgive one another from the heart. 
and there's no limitations on those. So when we are confronted with the need to forgive, the, the Christian expectation is, yes, we are to be forgiving repeatedly. And I'm sure Peter was surprised by 70 times 7, because then you quit keeping a tally. You give up on it, and you say, if I'm going to be a forgiving person, I can't be a forgiving person only as long as you quit doing it. I am a forgiving person no matter what you do. Regardless. Yes. That response raises the question for me of the biblical concept of forbearance. And it's not one we talk about. It's not a common word in our, in our language these days. So the question we'll leave hanging for our listeners until part two then is this. What is the difference and the relationship between forgiveness and forbearance? When attempts to forgive, to seek forgiveness are repeatedly spurned, must we at some point bear the offense? And this is what we're going to tackle in the next episode in part two of this series. Now, John, I understand you'll be doing some teaching on forgiveness. Can you tell our audience when and where that's going to happen? Yes, I will be teaching as part of CMU's Explore uh, courses in Winkler this fall, beginning October 1st at 10.30 in the morning at Emmanuel Mennonite Church. You can find the details on the CMU website. Great. Thanks so much for sharing your rich insights and experience on forgiveness, John. I look forward to chatting with you some more in our next episode on forbearance. It's been good to be here, and I look forward to the next time. That completes part one of our two-part series on forgiveness and forbearance. Join us again next time for part two. If you would like to read up on the topic of forgiveness and forbearance, I invite you to access dozens of titles on the topic at www.commonword.ca. Items are available for loan, purchase, or free download. You can join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of each month. We always welcome your feedback to the program, and we love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. Put your email in a nicely decorated envelope, perhaps with some fall colors, and send it to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We'll also receive your phone calls and always appreciate your financial support for this program at 1-866-888-6781 or via the donate link at MennoniteChurch.ca. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks so much for listening. As you go out from here, May the Lord go with you, the face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way. Sent by God, wherever we are living, salt and light.
light as people of the way.